1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning.
2: Player or team developments we expect or hope for for Championship Week. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen Find my Twitter at @yardspergretchy. Find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretchy.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who you can find over at Rotoviz. So many awesome things going on there. I saw you guys just launched the, I believe, the pre-sales for the the rookie guide, which is just a fantastic tool into the off-season. Sean, how you doing?
3: Good, good. I'm. Thank you for mentioning the the rookie guide. It is pretty. Exciting, it's a it's a fun read. It's a good uh, early in the off-season tool to kind of get going on your research, get a lot of uh, info in there, get some fun rankings, some mock drafts. Uh, it's, it's good for information. It's good for entertainment. We enjoy doing that project. But Ben, this week, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been very excited. There's a little bit of trepidation sneaking in because there are some Cool things going on, and it would be exciting to come down with some victories. I know you are in that position as well. Uh, Colin Kelly and I were lucky enough to have uh, our buddy, Mike Leone, on to overtime this week. We had him on because he also has a team along with the team that Colin Blair and I, and we also have Connor O'Driscoll, a to writer, rider, in the final 12. They're going for the $100,000.
2: One of you guys has to win it. I mean, we got too much, you know, good good karma in there. Uh, it's so fun that there's, you know, multiple teams kind of squaring off, like just kind of dominating a, a good chunk of that that final twelve. It, it is fun to have to feel like
3: you know, twenty five percent will sort of adopt Leone as as a. I mean, obviously he's got his own things, but but we're we're very happy to be sort of associated with him in, in any of the ways that we are. Obviously, he's a great buddy with you. Uh, when Colin and I were talking with him, we we all agreed that Connor has the best team, which obviously we know that doesn't mean you're going to win. Uh, if anything, it just r- sort of ratchets up your stress because you, <laughs> you feel like you've got a better chance. But, you know, you go in there and it's going to be very fun. The team's, so, the the first three weeks when we were kind of looking at our team, we felt like, I mean, obviously we could lose. I mean, that's that's a very likely situation as you're going through what the different scenarios are. But we did feel like our team was one of the top teams, and we had at least a decent chance to make it. Now that we're down to the final 12, Ben, I don't think it's that big of a surprise to say that, uh, you know, nine or ten of these teams are very good. So we'll need some specific things to happen to get through there. Mike also mentioned the 5K team that you guys have that – uh, is really in great shape because it's a three-week race that you all are involved in, uh, the two of you, and then obviously Pat and Pete, our buddies on Ship Chasing. So I'm very excited for where you are
2: with that. Yeah. And It's funny, you, you, you're a huge sweat. You're going up against Leonie. I My biggest one, I am co-managing with Leonie. But yeah, we uh, have about an 80-point lead going into the final week. A strong team, Jonathan Taylor, Kelsey, Debo, A.J. Brown, uh, Jamar Chase, Burrow, I mean, oh, and Swift as well, who will hopefully will be back this week. So it's going to be a team that I think has enough floor to to hold that 80-point lead. I'm, I'm, you know, crossing my fingers, but feeling pretty confident about that one. Ben, it's it's such a weird situation,
3: right, because all season long, our sort of two guys were – DeAndre Swift and Debo Samuel you and I do have Debo on a team where we need a big score from him to try and actually pull back like 80 points that we're going after I think maybe that's a little bit less likely it it feels very weird but I those are two guys actually have to root strongly against this week (laughs) in order (laughs) to come through on this I know that Mike is very excited to get Swift back for you guys' team very excited to get Swift back for his uh FFPC best ball tournament team. Uh, he was messaging Colin right after we finished the show, you know, talking about, Hey, you know, he's back. He's, he's going to go. And so, you know, some excitement there, the lions are talking about how they're going to let him loose. I'm like, ah, I mean, how can it be the final week and not enjoy Deandre Swift? It's going to feel really weird and inappropriate to be rooting against him there. You know, I want him to finish out his season really strong, but I want that to be in week 18. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> Well, and the the, the funny thing—I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Leone too much—but you were the voice that got so many of us on Swift. I mean, you're the one we talked about it on Bananas. Anyone who's been listening since the off season is nodding along right now and saying that you know we did the the exercise where we looked at the 2022 first round. You had Swift in the top five. That was a huge note, considering that Swift was you know going in the fourth round at the time um you emphasize that from when we launched this pod in in july that swift was a guy to really target this year and was being mispriced and you got me on him quick i was very excited about that i, I ended up taking a lot of him we took him in, in several of our teams that unfortunately are not in huge sweats but it, it, it's kind of funny that you're saying that that you know it's it's not just you saying like oh it feels weird to root against him it's like yeah he, it's almost like that your content was too good. It may have actually influenced the fact that Leoni ended up on him. I'm sure it influenced us having him in our NFC team. Cause it's a huge part of why I was on him and, and Pat and Pete anyway, again, don't want to speak for Leoni, but um, who does just so much great work on his own as well. But it is, it's so funny. Cause that is the guy that, you know, I think you had uh, a lot to do with, with people opening their eyes to, to his upside this year.
3: Well, like you mentioned, I mean, if Mike is on a guy, then uh, I mean, he's so incredibly sharp. You can probably give him full of credit for that. He was generous enough on our show to actually mention that I had been high on him. So, you know, just a, a cool thing for him to. to Something just... he remembers, it sounds like. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy. And and Ben, we kind of spent half an hour before we got started here kind of talking through some other different difficult and interesting guys for Week 17, I I had some questions I wanted to ask you about some structural things and and all of that. But really, uh, we're going to have a ton of time here in the offseason. Next week, we'll have some fun shows where, you know, most things are done. We can get to some of that stuff. We're going into Championship Sunday. Let's get into some of these questions. You and I don't necessarily do a ton of start set stuff. We both believe that in most cases where people are asking really difficult start sets it's because it is mostly a coin flip and people need to make their own decisions and you need to make decisions based on your own comfort level with the way something's going to play out your comfort level with risk, but not just risk, but the different types of risk that will occur in any given week. How do you like to play? And sometimes when we're asked questions about start sit, one of the first things that we would need to know in order to give sort of comfortable and good advice to any individual person is just to understand their playing style. So, we're gonna talk about some things today that maybe are gonna give people some insight into how we would do it in different scenarios. But, you know, some of like these things, I mean, the projections, if they have the guys within, you know, point 0.2 or point 0.3 of each other. It's going to be a toss-up. Now, there are some great tools on Rotovays you can go in. And one of the things that I like about our game-level similarity projections is they kind of go at the question from a different angle. And so if you exhausted a lot of the great projections that are out there and you feel like the answer hasn't come to you, you can check that out, see if it gives you some insight. It looks at it in terms of a range of outcomes. It looks at it by matching similar players and similar defenses and what's happened. You know, If you're concerned that you're not factoring in the defensive element properly, again, that's something to look at. It's not something to take that information and make your decision based on that but it's a good extra additional point that you can consider we have some other cool tools as well for trying to understand how a player's going to match up with the defense like the gps tool that kind of thing but ben present us a couple of these interesting choices one of the things that you know does kind of happen in championship week is you're going to have two heavyweights going at it and you know when you proposed some of these questions to me. I was like, man, I mean, I can't imagine benching any of these guys. If someone has like eight or nine players who would go in the first two rounds, (laughs) if we redrafted 2021 today, then I mean, hopefully you're the favorite. (laughs) Hopefully you're going in there and you're going to win this matchup. But you know, we think to some of our own teams as well, where you get to this point and actually is pretty strong, or at least it's pretty strong where you actually have choices I I had mentioned on the show last week that I had a couple of head-to-heads going with Ryan McDowell. I was lucky enough to split those, and so at least one of those teams is now. I get to play Scott Barrett in the final of Curtis Patrick's Black Crown Dynasty League, which is kind of fun. I get to do that in a super flex league where my two quarterbacks are Jimmy Garoppolo and and Taylor Heineke. And so that part of it is not great. But get Dalvin Cook back this week, scored over 200 points last week, and then the rest of my players outside of QB – or maybe similar to some of these questions that we had from listeners where it's like, I've got a lot of guys that are good. You know, how am I going to stack my other positions such that I can cover up these quarterback issues? So hit us with some of these questions and we'll kind of work through these.
2: Yeah. The backstory is, you know, it's, it's this was my last week writing signals for the year. I don't write it after the championship week for season long leagues. Um, and I mentioned this weekend, I've got a little more time. Uh, would be happy to to help out with start sits and things like that. I hope, these guys who have asked me don't mind too much if, uh, you know, I, I talk a little bit about it on the air, but I had some really tough questions from subscribers this week that made me think, you know, well, first of all, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to get your opinion. I was like, yeah, I'm going to think I'm going to ask John and, and, and make sure I'm giving good advice here because, you know, you don't want to be the guy who gets somebody on something that winds up losing them their league. But it was really interesting. There was a common thread in, I think, three of the toughest ones where T. Higgins wound up being pretty borderline as a as a as the, the potential sit. And my first question to you before we got in the air here was, like, how do you sit him right now? I mean, we talked about him on our last show a little bit. We ran down what he's done over the last month. He's had a couple uh, in the last month, just one low game. But you go back to, I think it was week 11, he had another uh, pretty low game. But you can go all the way back to, like, week seven, and he's averaged about 93 yards per game. Week seven, somewhat significant, I would say, in the sense that he played in weeks one and two, then he missed three and four because he was a little banged up. He came back in five and six, wasn't seeing a ton of target volume right away when he came back. Week seven was the game where he got a lot of target volume for the first time, really, all year, 15 targets. But, you know, that's certainly still an arbitrary cutoff where I'm saying, okay, this is where maybe he was, like, fully healthy. But regardless, you know, it's an advantageous cutoff for him the same time since then he has he's uh, averaged about 93 yards per game so it's not just been these last few hundred yards hundred yard games I mean it has been those have been his biggest games that are pulling up that average but he had a, a 90 yard game early in the year he's been pretty good all year the volume has been pretty good he's a guy that we were calling a buy low you know several points throughout the year and it's really hit these last four weeks five weeks or whatever it is But some of these questions are like, I need to sit one of A.J. Brown, DeVos, Samuel, T. Higgins, and Diggs. And it's like, how do you sit any of those guys? I need uh, Another commenter mentioned, I sat Higgins last week and made it through, but um, started Tyreek, Diggs, Jefferson, Lamb, and Antonio Brown. And have to figure out which one of those six to to sit this week. And it's like, well, you're not sitting probably Tyreek, Diggs, Jefferson. And if, you know, Antonio Brown has an ankle thing as we record – here tonight uh where he missed practice today not sure how that will play out Friday and Saturday some of this is like you know I, I want to know who's going to be available and how healthy they are up until Sunday um uh, but if Antonio you know, Brown's active I mean we were talking before the show a little bit like the, the guy's target rate has been so massive with the other receivers out it feels really hard to not play him so then it probably comes down to lamb or Higgins it's like how do you you to those guys and then there's another person who reached out to me um who has uh Devonta Adams and Tyreek Hill locked in, can only start three receivers, and is looking at the two running back spots and the Flex. It's a PPR league, has Kamara, Montgomery, Mixon, and Sony Michelle. And so four running backs that are looking like top 15 guys pretty much anywhere you look this week. And then also has Higgins and Lamb. And it's like, I'm not going to necessarily be the guy to tell you to start three running backs, but we talked a little bit. It turns out that. His opponent's lineup, in my estimation, it's good. It's got Cup and Andrews. That's how they got there. But it's not – you're talking about two heavyweights in the championship. It's not really a heavyweight lineup. It's going to be starting, it looks like, maybe like Saquon and Rashad Penny at running back, a second tight end. I think they're going to be playing Gronk at flex along with uh, Mark Andrews. Uh, the other receivers are Mari Cooper, which is good but not you know amazing. So there's some, some spots in that lineup where I'm like, well, you're probably favored. know barring cup or andrews exploding again or both of them exploding again and so part of me is thinking you know or was thinking when i was talking news like i you know it's hard for me to say to sit lamb or higgins but they are the ones that you know any given week so many good options in those passing games they can be the guy that doesn't necessarily have the huge game they both have huge ceilings but there is just the the reality that we know that running backs that are you know top 10 top 15 running backs we know are going to have the touch floors, and then also have some ceiling um, as well. And and that guy already has, you know, Tyreek and Adams in his lineup. And so there's, there's ceiling in his lineup as well already. And so trying to think through that one, for each of these, it was, I just thought it was so interesting that Higgins is is the one that, because they're such loaded teams, it almost it, you know, it becomes this question of what do we think of the, the Bengals-Chiefs game? How do we think that might play out? Uh, the, the last one I just mentioned is really interesting because uh, the, the person has Burrow at quarterback as well and then and has Mixon and has Higgins. And so thinking through the, the stack and how do you want to play that from a floor perspective, from a ceiling perspective. And you had some really interesting thoughts on on, on Mixon, I thought. Yeah, so the, the tricky part
3: here is I think that in most cases, you and I are going to go for the receiver. We're going to go for the ceiling outcome. But we did both agree that we thought he was the fairly heavy favorite which perhaps moves you back in the direction of that running back floor that you were talking about and that those locked-in touches as compared to Higgins and CeeDee Lamb, where because there are so many other good receiving options, you do run the risk of a really low-scoring game, and that might be your only path to losing with as much firepower as you have. And then the question with, you know, how do I match these players with— burrow gets to be kind of interesting because again, it kind of depends on whether or not you want to go for floor or ceiling. But in this instance, there were four really good running back options. So it's not just, do I want to start three running backs or two, but it's like which three of the four, if I even decide to start three. And the the thing that jumps out to me here, which is a little bit interesting is we know that the chiefs have been on fire as a defense you look at Higgins, and I think it's over the last five weeks he's averaging over 23 points a game. Obviously, a lot of that does stem back to week 16, where he has this massive you know, 40-point game. The week before that, almost nothing when they faced the Denver Broncos. Which is a defense, it's a, it's a different team and it's a different game environment than we're likely to see against the Chiefs because the Broncos themselves were not going to score much, whereas the Chiefs will. And so, you know, that dynamic is different. But in terms of what the defenses are doing, you know, we're looking at a Chiefs team that has been limiting receivers. On the running back side of it, the area where they've been really lagging or just the way things are structured that they have been giving up by getting ahead, limiting some of the receivers. Is that passes to the running back over the last five weeks? They rank. They've given up the third most receptions. They've given up the most average receiving yards to the back. Joe Mixon has been inconsistent as a receiving back, but he has that as part of his profile, and you know that could be something just like in Week 16 there against Baltimore, where he gets going. And you had mentioned on our first show this week that how productive their offense was actually helped him, you know, that could kind of work both ways this week. But I do think that he has this big receiving both floor and ceiling. We talk all the time about high value touches. If you're looking at the backs and trying to decide who gives you both floor and ceiling this week, and is going to have some of those high value touches, then there is some reason to consider Mixon with Burrow within the context of this overall lineup where there's just so much firepower, but at the same time, we're trying to kind of cut off different pathways to a loss and keep the
2: floor very, very high. Yeah. And I think, I mean, hopefully, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about these specific situations, but hopefully the listeners will get a lot out of this in terms of the ways that, you know, we would think through these things that I think is really the key point. I mean, like when we're talking about playing Burrow with Mixon, you know, obviously that means, the vast majority of the touchdowns are are probably going to be accounted for with the Bengals. Now I mentioned to you a little bit of concern with the way the Chiefs have played some of these games. There's got to be at least some concern that the Bengals could have like a 10-point game as a team. But I don't know that I see that this week. They showed a lot of uh, willingness to, to throw last week, which I thought was a very positive thing. I, basically, I don't know that their defense is going to be good enough to keep the Chiefs from scoring. And so I think they're going to have to throw – I think I think – in all likelihood, they're going to at least have some points, right? And and then the vast majority of the touchdowns are either going to be Burrow throwing TDs or you're going to, you know, even in a bad outcome you you for Burrow, you might wind up with some mix and rushing touchdowns. And so just sort of thinking through that side of it, as opposed to potentially putting Higgins into this lineup where, look, if Higgins has a big game, that's still good for you because you have Burrow when you're the favorite, right? And so the, there's all these different elements that we're kind of trying to think through that might not apply to, to other listeners or other teams, but those things do matter. Like, I mean, I get asked sort of like how much I would consider that type of stuff. And and I would just, you know, want to emphasize that, Sean, when you and I talk about it, like we're absolutely thinking about where we are in the context of the contest that we're playing or, or the matchup, if it's a head to head. And what things we might need out of these final lineup spots, we're making the decisions based on the spots that we have locked in and what our opponent looks to have locked in. And, and and what we think is the more likely scenario and all that it's, it's very tough to predict how it's all going to play out but if you want to make a more informed decision you should be considering all factors i mean it's kind of like you think about like a business you know you have like whatever cost benefit analyses or things like people are trying to find ways to to boil down all sorts of sort of abstract concepts into uh what does this mean for like the bottom line and, and you know, I, that's sort of the way I think through these start sits is like, I'm trying to think of all of the factors that may matter. And what is, you know, what is most likely is certainly, you know, you're estimating and you're projecting, but what is most likely is relevant in, you know, in these cases that, that includes sort of estimating whether you're the favorite estimating, you know, what can happen in these games, going through from a team level, how these games can play out. How does your player get there? How does he fail? What seems more likely, and this is where you know we'll talk about things like Vegas lines from time to time. Um, you know, the the very first question that I mentioned included Debo, and that was a uh, a scenario, and, and then also AJ Brown. Like, look, I'm never gonna tell anyone to to bench AJ Brown, but like uh, in a game that has a sub 40 point total because Miami plays so slow and your receivers are this good, I could I could understand it. Debo is, uh, I also mentioned him, is more just team context. Now you have Trey Lance at quarterback. So what does that mean? How is he going to be used? He's going to be used in the run game some, but if they dominate this game against an inferior opponent, is it the Lance show? Do we see then a lot of Elijah Mitchell as well? You know, Debo's probably going to get his half dozen carries, but if he doesn't get the rushing TD, is this a game where he winds up with, with two catches again or one catch again? And you and I are not
3: as likely to sell efficiency as a lot of other players, but at the same time, because in so many situations, you know, you're talking about superstars. We don't want to sell superstars. You also don't want to sell a type of play that could lead to more volume. But Ben, I mean, these amazing, long rushing touchdowns, it's, there are only so many of those you're going to get.
2: Right, right, exactly. And so if, if he can't get that, and if he – I think it's a, a more likely scenario than we want that Debo doesn't catch five passes this week. And, and so what you're at 30, 40 rushing yards and, you know, three for 30 receiving or two for 20 receiving, you're, you're not getting there in terms of the ceilings of, of these other players that you're considering him around. But the Niners are a team that project to score a lot of points. And it would not be at all surprising if Tebow has a multi-touchdown game either. They all have ceilings. I mean, these are these are the tough decisions that people have in championship
3: week. Yeah, you're definitely not going to ever bench him in either a deep league or one where you don't have other stars. But if you have other stars and it's a sort of a medium-sized starting lineup, it could come into play. The other thing there, you mentioned that they're projected to score a lot of points. They probably will, although, you know, with Trey Lance, there are some pathways to maybe this game being one of the 49ers control, but don't score an absolute ton. The other thing that I think factors in a tiny little bit, and I'd be interested to you know, hear what you think in terms of what they might do. We know that one of the problems now is the Kittle is playing so well and Ayuk is playing better. They do have the guys to split the production between. And if they get up multi-touchdowns you know, early in the third quarter and they wanted to kind of take a little bit of the weight off of the shoulders of one of the guys – It would seem to me like Samuel would be the one to rest a little bit more. He seems like he's 100%, you know, following this groin injury. But, you know, I don't think they would want to work him into the ground in this game. He might be the guy who comes off. We do also know that, you know, if they win, they keep going, then, you know, they're going to need these guys later. That was something we also discussed a little bit with Alvin Kamara, where we would expect them to control – the Carolina Panthers and we would expect him to be part of that we would expect him to score early he probably has a very high floor for this game but could be somebody who is deemphasized emphasized a little bit late to make sure he's ready uh, to really go and, and blow up in week 18. I would just be concerned about some of these guys where the games you know should be out of reach you're not going to have massive shootouts because the opponent is so weak that was something else that we talked about for David Montgomery who projects very well this week And yet the Giants are atrocious. And one of the things over the last month for David Montgomery, he's averaging almost eight targets per game. This isn't a game where we would necessarily expect the Bears need to throw him the ball a lot.
2: Yeah, no. And, you know, I I mentioned in Signals this week, Foles being in there was certainly helpful. Now, the last couple games, Fields has played, um, and we don't really know who's going to play quarterback this week. Fields is limited. Dalton's back in full. It sounds like maybe Dalton will be the quarterback. Uh, the last couple of games Fields played, he did throw to Montgomery six and seven times, falls through him nine times this past week. But in this past month, the the Bears, you go through their game log and you go through this stretch where so much of Montgomery's production has been receiving. They've been in huge negative scripts in all these games. Uh, they, they lost the first two of, of these past four games by double digits to Arizona and Green Bay. Minnesota, they lost by eight. That was the uh, Monday nighter where fields threw the touchdown on the very final play to uh, Jesper Horstead. I think it was, uh, but it was 17 three for, you know, the, the majority of the second half and the Vikings weren't even really trying on offense. They were just going three and out and punting. And, and the bears ran a lot of offensive plays in the second half. And that's the type of script where you get check downs. The defense is dropping into coverage and then this past week was the Seahawks game, where again, the Bears found themselves down double digits in the second half. They were able to come all the way back and win at the very end, scoring a touchdown, getting the two-point conversion. But that was multiple drives being down in the fourth quarter where they got into you know, point scoring range. And that's where David Montgomery was catching a lot of his passes, I believe. I don't know that I actually looked through the game log there, but um, I think if you did, you'll you'll find some David Montgomery fourth quarter catches for sure. And, you know, this is not the week that that's probably going to happen again. I mean, four straight games where he's had great receiving, but also four straight games where they've been down double digits in the second half, and now they get who the the Giants, right? And so the Giants, the way they look on offense, you're probably not going to find yourself in that scenario. I mean, the Bears are not good either, but if anything, it's probably going to be a little bit closer, and we might wind up with more handoffs to David Montgomery, right?
3: Yeah, and one of the things that both Kamara and Montgomery have going for them that someone like Debo does not is that they really are the only show, right? And so we talked about, number one, the high floor of these locked-in running back touches. We also have the fact that they just don't have teammates that are likely to score. So the points that their team is likely to score, which we like the matchups here overall. I mean, the the Giants-Bears game is probably not going to be a shootout, but the points that they do get go through those guys. So again, that's one of the reasons why in this Tricky, difficult conversation about who should go between Kamara, Montgomery, Mixon, Michelle, and we kind of lead toward these stars. Then when we get back, we're going to allow you to make the case for Sony Michelle. We're going to talk a little bit about this Michelle Cup element, and we are going to put you on the spot and make you actually pick between T. Higgins and C.D. Lamb.
1: Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over. The NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Okay, Ben. One of the, the elements that came up—the scenario in this contest—was the potential to start. Michelle. He's obviously been on fire. Hig- uh, Henderson now on IR. The latest news is that the Rams are kind of admitting that Acres probably not going to play in Week 17, which does make sense. So Michelle going to have this big workload. One of the things that I mentioned in the Zero RB report this week is that Michelle's numbers have really bounced back. Uh, had a sort of extended discussion about that on OT, but he has left some points on the table. You were talking to me about his rushing yardage over the last month and how impressive that is. And yet it's a high floor, maybe not quite as high a ceiling scenario, but then the other complicating factor is that his opponent has Cooper cup. We're talking about trying to close off pathways to a loss. If you're the favorite, how do you feel like that works out? with the potential maybe in sort of a nightmare scenario for Cup to dominate the red zone opportunities to score a couple touchdowns in this game and maybe steal those from Michelle, create a really low floor for him, or at least a lower floor than we might think of in other game scenarios?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, essentially the way that I framed it was that I think in Cup ceiling outcomes, which is one of the biggest potential negatives in this matchup when your opponent doesn't really have a very deep starting lineup in terms of ceiling but does have cooper Cup and does have mark andrews you're looking at a couple of guys that you know for that team to put up a huge number needs ceilings from those really good players and then at least strong games from you know some of the you know weaker links that probably don't have 30 point upside anymore i'm talking about like the you know unfortunately but i'm talking about like saquon barkley who's in that lineup does not have 30 point upside right now. And so I the way I was that I worried you were it,
3: talking about someone like
2: DJ Moore, ben. <laughs> he's not in the discussion here. Okay. Uh, okay. And he does have 30 point upside this week.
3: Because we get Sam Darnold, is that what you're saying? Yes. Darnold is because back. Because we
2: have Sam Darnold back. Everything's gonna be okay, Sean. <laughs> uh Cooper Cup I the way that I was framing it was that if Cooper Cup had an actual ceiling game that that probably raises the projection for michelle i think that um means that the rams are more likely to be leading it means that michelle's more likely to get carries because this rams team will run the ball in those scenarios um i think though it also means that they might get a little bit more conservative in you know later game green zone spots this is a team that has given a lot of touchdowns to their running backs over the last over the mcveigh era right it's not just Gurley; as the cj anderson stretch it was malcolm brown at times uh, Cam Akers last year, Daryl Henderson this year, um, and Michelle over the last four weeks when he's been the starter has two touchdowns, but has definitely gotten working close. So even if Cup does have the multiple touchdown game, I think what that's saying is number one, that the Rams offense is succeeding and probably the, like you said, Michelle has not necessarily from an efficiency standpoint hit the value of his workload, but the, the success of the offense carries the running back sometimes, especially in this offense is, would be my case. And if they are succeeding, if Cup is is performing very well and scoring multiple touchdowns, I do think it carries Michelle along uh, in a way where, you know, if Cup has the multiple touchdown game, and I'm kind of just thinking through it as, like, it would be the first couple touchdowns. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It could end up in a shootout back and forth late. Um, that's, like, the nightmare scenario. But if that happened, that, like, you know, there'd be a high likelihood that the third touchdown would be, assuming it wasn't Cup again, would be Michelle, frankly, because the the Rams do have some such a high percentage of the touchdowns go to the running backs. Um, he'd be sort of the next logical option, so to speak. And so my thought was like, look, the way that Cooper Cup fails is if really if the whole Rams offense fails, they have a really tough game on the road at Baltimore. And that's that would be bad for Michelle too, but you'd be basically kind of <laughs> taking out their top player while, you know, sort of sacrificing, you know, your flex play, like sacrificing a pawn or something to get their queen. If the Rams offense is very successful and Cup is very good, I, I, I mean, a lot of times we think about the running back and the receiver being negatively correlated, but this is a very concentrated offense. There are very few players that have huge weeks for the Rams. Michelle, over the last four weeks, you mentioned the rushing. He has 220 rush yard games, another one over 90. His low is 79 rushing yards. He only has six catches over that stretch does feel like a game where he's gonna play basically every snap you know he does have 11 targets he hasn't been catching a ton of his targets I would hope that he could get two or three catches as well but really just the, the sort of the floor it feels like a floor of you know 80 rushing yards when they're giving him 18 plus carries in all four of these games in a a floor of 80 rush yards in a scenario where cup is performing well enough that they can't key on on the ground game at all and that's part of the reason that the rushing efficiency has been there. You know, there's scenarios where Cup could have like a nine for ninety game, even when the Rams aren't really succeeding well overall. But that's, I mean, I think you live with that. You would, if you're playing against Cup this week, you're you're like, yeah, I'll take that every day of the week. You give him the 18 points, let's move on. But if he's having a, a you know a 10 plus catch game with multiple touchdowns, that's probably speaking well in terms of what it's going to open up for Michelle to run. And I also think potentially opening up better paths to Michelle scoring as well. Cause it just means the Rams are succeeding and getting multiple opportunities to score. And so, yeah, I mean, I actually think those guys are probably positively correlated.
3: I think the element here really comes down to whether or not cup is getting his points you know, in terms of a lot of yardage that where he could potentially deliver Michelle to the goal line. And you have a, a ton of green zone touches, as you like to say in this game for Michelle, that would be very, uh, uh, positive for him, obviously, I think the concern would just be that if you have this game where, you know, it's just a normal run-of-the-mill type of game, but when they do get down there, Cup scores a couple touchdowns, which we've definitely seen him do, and suddenly his point total is way up there, and Michelle doesn't really score. Now, the overall workload that you were talking about, definitely the case, very, very positive. Over the last month, he actually has the fourth highest total in the NFL in expected points. David Montgomery, which is one of the guys we were talking about because he's another choice Uh, for this particular manager is number one and number one clear by a wide margin over dalvin cook and jonathan taylor there so michelle is coming in you know ahead of alvin Kamara, ahead of you know guys like Najee harris so the work has been there it's a matter of you know what could happen in this game that could take it away now joe mixon eviscerated the ravens last week and kind of leaves us with this taste of Maybe the Ravens being an exploitable defense. I think that that's true to an extent. And yet, overall, they don't project as a particularly great matchup. The previous four weeks, they had managed to not eliminate, but limit four good running backs. I mean, they held Nick Chubb below 10 points twice which is definitely not the thing you're looking for. They limited Najee Harris. They limited Aaron Jones. In the Aaron Jones case, obviously, and you you can say in the Nick Chubb case as well, you have some other backs splitting off some touches in a way that won't happen here with Michelle, but overall, the number is kind of in the bottom 10 over the last five in terms of that matchup. Now, the thing that, again, should be good is that we do have a game here where we would expect a pretty decent score. And I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic that Baltimore is going to score more points than what their implied total is. So I could see this as a shootout where both of their, both of these guys get the points again, the tricky thing that we're looking at here, Ben is that our manager who's, who's looking at these start set decisions has a very loaded lineup. And so in most cases, you're going
2: to be very happy about putting any of these guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And I should say like, just looking at some correlation tools, I don't, think if I'm looking at this right that the the Rams for the Rams that there's been a strong correlation between running back and receiver this year. Um I mean, yeah, I mean as we talked about this, I think you had kind of gotten to the point where you were saying Michelle maybe is the one to sit. And I think that I mean it sounds like sort of the way that you're thinking through that is that a cup ceiling game could just literally be only cup right? Like he's just, they just keep going to him and he has all of it and and there's just nothing for anyone else.
3: Yeah. And and just that when we look at the way the touchdowns could break down in this game, again, if you're the favorite, then you're concerned that maybe the only way you can lose is a multi-touchdown game from cup that limits the opportunities that Michelle has in inside the 10, that type of thing. We've seen some games where Uh, it looked like Cup was going to be held in check a little bit, and then he scored a couple of plays from distance. Obviously, those plays add a ton of points to Cup in a real hurry, and they keep away from the potential short yardage carries for Michelle. Again, though, I mean, you you look at the the guys here. When you're talking about a guy who over the last month has had expected points above 18 points per game, I mean, how do you bench that person? And so, again, that's where we kind of come back and we look at Comparing this to the wide receivers, and say, you know, you and I would strongly prefer in almost every scenario to have receivers in the flex. When you're talking about having potential superstars like CD Lamb or T Higgins in the flex, it becomes even harder to think of a way to bench them. But Ben, over the last three weeks, Lamb has gone 14.6, 11, 10.4. He actually has three games this season below five points. And so, again, we're looking at ways that you could potentially lose this game. Playing CeeDee Lamb from that perspective is definitely a guy who could lose it. Now, he does have four wide receiver one finishes. He has a 36-point game. And he's playing in this context this week where, number one, we expect this to be a shootout. The Cowboys are implied for approximately 29 points, which, again, that's not great for me as I'm trying to bow up. Mike Leone, who has Dak in the best ball contest there, and then we look at the the Cardinals, and they are giving up a lot of points to wide receivers. Over the last five games, they've given up the sixth most points. They're not great in expected points. They're not great in points over expectation. Cooper Cup put up 31 on them a couple of weeks ago. Amon Ra put up big numbers. Michael Pittman, even in this game, where I mean the the, the Colts right now are not a passing juggernaut. Michael Pittman had a good game. So we look at this. We know that Arizona is now also injured in the secondary. They're going to be trotting out guys who are probably very borderline NFL players. And, and I'm, I'm interested in your, your take on this. I and mean, we don't tend to talk too much about the narratives, but I pointed out that last week they tried to get Cooper. They tried to get Amari Cooper going, who had been complaining a little bit about his targets. And he obviously scored well from a fantasy points perspective, but just really, if anything, emphasize that he is more or less done as an explosive player. Possibly could swing back this week to now. They want to show they can do the same thing with C.D. Lamb. I mean, if they came out in this game and wanted to show that C.D. Lamb is a star, we could be talking about 40 points.
2: Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I just agree with everything you just said. Uh, I think Lamb would be an incredibly difficult player to sit in any situation, but you know, the, these discussions that we're having at, with some of these rosters are um, very hard ones, very hard ones to have, which I think is why they're pretty fun to, to talk about. But Higgins, you know, I, I think the same of. Higgins has looked so dominant physically. I mean, like, just putting on the scouting hat a little bit, the eye test hat, like, he's just looked very, very good. He's looked as billed, as we talked about in the offseason, over this last month plus. Lamb hasn't had those performances but he has very much at times looked like he could. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, we, we tend to be more data focused and, and we tend to kind of shy away from the people that are just saying, yeah, listen to me tell you that this player is poised for a monster game because that's what I see, uh, even though the numbers don't say it. But like, that's the case with CD CeeDeeLayup, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think uh, if the – he hasn't had a ton of huge games. I keep going back to that New England game. It was a huge one. He wound up just exploding late, you know, in the second half and late and then scoring the overtime game winner. It was like they needed to win that game in New England. You're playing Bill Belichick. What do you do? You go to the guy that's your best player. And, you know, Amari was in that game. But Lamb was the one who ended up with 150 and two touchdowns in that game. And why hasn't that happened more? I don't have a good answer for that. But Lamb is uh, has looked as built to me for, for most of this year, uh, despite the lack of production. And I think um, it would not be at all surprising to me whatsoever to see the ceiling game from him this week. It wouldn't be surprising to see another one from Higgins. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to see it from DJ Moore, Sean. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard when we're talking about the elite receivers, you know, that I'm just going to throw DJ Moore in with all of these guys.
3: So then you mentioned uh, DJ Moore there, obviously Colin will be ecstatic just to kind of throw uh, some of the numbers from the game level similarity projections at you give people a little bit of a sense of how that works with the defenses being included there and with the emphasis on recent games. One of the things that Dave has this up with the tool is to emphasize the games more recently based on the research that he and some of the data guys have done to make sure that we're focusing on the right set of games. So we have Ceedee lamb coming at 15.7. That's about his seasonal average. We have T. Higgins at 17.4 that's a little bit above but gives you a sense that recently he's gone off and so even with the difficult defensive matchup kind of like the advantage that he gives you there anybody who watched him play last week is probably not going to dispute that if there is a team that could hold up against the Chiefs defense it would seem to be the Bengals although they'll have to attack as opposed to try and play through the running back that's not going to work this week if they get Mixon involved it will need to be in the passing game, uh, the Chiefs defense over the last five weeks, number one in terms of most expected points against in the passing game, number 32 in terms of fantasy points over expectations. So folks who do want to fade that efficiency, this could be the week where the Chiefs defense is not quite as able to shut people down. And we have another big game from Joe Burrow, which both Connor and myself need in that FFPC tournament. Just to give a little bit of context, the projection for DJ Moore, who Ben just put in there as one of the stars as well, is right on in line with all of these other studs, and we're moving on. It is 12.8. So (laughs) 12.8 is not as exciting there, Ben. Probably, though, not considering that Sam Darnold is going to be the starting quarterback. If we just could slide that in there, the numbers would jump way well i mean sam
2: dartle is half the problem <laughs> so i don't think it's actually uh the perfect world but i mean it's funny another guy that we talked about uh, on one of these decision points was aj brown and um you know we're thinking about him a lot differently this week after what we saw last week because we saw what we intuitively knew was there for aj brown but hadn't seen he'd been injured obviously but even in in some of his more recent healthy games had not seen Um, and then he gets the game where he has the 16 targets, 11 catches, 145 yards and a touchdown. We talked about it with Justin Jefferson all year. He's another guy that we mentioned in one of these decisions. And we've started to see, I mean, look, I I think Jefferson was getting in some circles a bad rap for what he was already putting up in terms of people like not being content with his first, maybe couple months where his numbers were actually pretty solid, but over the last two months since, um, has just completely taken the top off of everything every single week. Diggs is another guy that goes more I guess into the to the to the the bucket of the guy that the explosion could come any week. We haven't seen it a lot lately. We have not seen the ceiling from him. I don't think there's any reason to think that it can't come. I mean we know wide achievers are volatile and it becomes very challenging when you have this many good ones and this many tough decisions. One of the things I told one of uh these people that was asking was just from a, you know, a thought uh, sort of a mental perspective and, and something I've mentioned on the show before, when I think through these things, like you have, I think it was the one where we were talking about the running backs and the flex, and you have to sit uh, basically three of six good players. You're, you're kind of like, you want to really simplify it. You're, you're like, let's just say you had three coin flips to make because all six players are reasonably close. I mean, to, to guess correctly in three straight coin flips just purely by odds is a 12.5 percent chance right and there are other layers here and maybe you are a little bit better than that maybe you're a little bit um maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that i i'm, I'm sort of simplifying it but you know i i one way i think about it is like when you have the, the question of like five good receivers and you got to pick which one to bench and you don't really know which one and you think they all have enough ceiling to cover the others to pick the correct one of five to bench is really—I mean, just in a purely mathematical perspective—if they were all dead even, is a twenty percent chance. I mean, th- there's enough overlap in their odd in their in their ranges of outcomes and all that stuff. And it gets further complicated when you talk about the guys that have legitimate floor scenarios. I mean, like the Debo thing. Like if if he doesn't catch a lot of passes, they kind of shut him down. Or even AJ Brown this week, coming off the monster game. If the ti- if the Dolphins and Titans play a game that scores thirty points, which they can. That might be a tough scenario for Brown if if Tannehill only throws 22 passes, and we know there's not been a lot of games. You know, this was a career high for AJ Brown on targets and catches and air yards as well. Yeah, so not not a guy who, unfortunately for his career so far, it's great that we've seen now three of the last five games he's had double digit targets, but doesn't have a ton of double digit target games throughout his his career. And so there are these you know legitimate floor scenarios where well, where after the fact it can look really bad, and you're like, man, this guy only scored me four points. This guy on my bench scored me 25. I feel like an absolute idiot. Um, But yeah, just sort of as a mental thing, just to kind of hopefully give some of you who have these really tough decisions a little bit of reprieve. I've been doing this a long time, Sean. You've been doing this a long time. It is not easy to get your lineup exactly correct and optimized every single... It feels easier after the fact that, you know, I should have played this guy and this is how I should have optimized it. It is really, really hard actually to, to get... You're talking about kind of like hitting a par leg, get each of the little decisions that you have to make. There's usually more than one. And some I mean, if you only have one, it's toss up. It's still only a 50 percent chance, you know. But if you have two or three or four, your odds are, are lower than 50 percent is the point I'm trying to drive home. They might be 20 percent to get everything correct. And so after the fact, the ones you get right will be like, yeah, I, I should. I knew that. And I was right because this and that. That the ones you get wrong are the ones you'll beat yourself up on and, and you just shouldn't do that. You should go into it understanding that this is uh, it, this is a tough part of fantasy football. Absolutely. It is. It is.
3: And most of the season you're willing to kind of let it go and move on. It happens in the championship game and it can sit with you all year. The one thing you want to do there, as you mentioned, it's going to be hard to make decisions. I was kind of looking at those guys, you know, AJ Brown projected 15.9 Stefan Diggs 16.1 again in the GLSP. peak cool tool there. You can check out and and use a little bit, but I mean, you're getting projections that are in this range where you could easily be wrong. And there's so many different scenarios that could play out on Sunday, which again, we all know the one mistake you want to avoid making is a mistake where you're chasing a narrow path to the point total you need, as opposed to a player who gives you more opportunities to get there. And definitely don't stack narrow paths as you put your lineup together, where you feel like you've made a mistake and then you chase the points by taking an even crazier scenario and trying to get those points back. You know, as the the day goes along, you know, you have the first wave, the second wave, you've got the Monday night game, those kinds of things, you know, don't get in a position where you keep trying to chase points and taking the riskier move in a way where when you look back at it, you think, well, if I had just not made all of those mistakes, I would have won, right? We don't want to get there on Tuesday morning and feel like that we went away from the guys who got us here. Chasing a narrow path for somebody who is trendy this week. Now that doesn't mean that if if someone is locked in. One of the things we talk about a lot is that the great thing about zero running back is you do have some of these guys who are not big names, but when it comes to the right week, you can feel very comfortable in playing them because the situation is perfect. If you have that and you have a zero RB lineup, you know don't hesitate to play those guys. They can win the the finals for you. You know we were joking about Rex Burkhead, and that one is not still as clear. I mean, it's one of those things in retrospect where. You know, if you had him in, you feel like a genius. If you had him out, you're like, well, we, I should have known because he was going to have this workload. You know, again, it, it seems clear in retrospect. You want to go for the players who give you as many possible paths to victory, and you want to start lineups that on Tuesday morning, you're not going to second guess yourself all season. That doesn't mean you're going to win, but you want to put yourself in that position as opposed to the other one.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I got a good... Lesson there, I uh, I want to say it was two years ago in one of my home leagues, and I was not as focused on it. Maybe it was three years ago. It was um, when Diggs was still in Minnesota. I've had Diggs on all my teams for all these years. And I also had Mike Boone roster, and it was when Mike Boone was a thing for a little bit. And I only needed seven points going into Monday Night Football, and Diggs was the, the higher projected player by a lot, but he'd had a couple games that year two catches, 24 yards, and guaranteed touches, running back. I went and played Mike Boone going into Monday Night Football because I knew my my the points I was chasing, right, in my flex spot. I knew exactly what I needed. I needed seven points. And Diggs, uh, <laughs> I don't think he got there in catches and in yardage, but he um, – I think it was a tough matchup as well, but he did score and scored enough points that uh, I would have won if I played him. I did not play my – favorite player uh, at least at the time and I played instead a running back who I felt had a more guaranteed path to getting 7 points and he scored like 4. The Vikings got blown out and uh I lost uh, this, you know, home league my with my college buddies bragging rights benching Stefan Diggs in the championship. So um it can happen to anyone. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now.
3: Well, Ben, we've come to the end of another fun show. We're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the holidays. We're getting ready for the new year. And the new year comes with fantasy football and with fantasy championships. So this has been fun. It's been a good discussion to go through. And I appreciate you doing this with me throughout uh, the second half of, of 2021. It's been a blast. We're looking forward to 2022. We give a big good good luck to all of our listeners we appreciate so much you guys being with us again just so grateful for all the ratings and reviews you guys have left us there some of the things you guys have mentioned really blows us away we appreciate all of that and so everybody go out and and take home the titles this weekend
2: yeah absolutely I, i mean i think that's really well said hopefully us talking through some of these specific ones helps people who have some other similar ones yeah, I, I just ruined my night bringing up the Diggs Boone thing, but you said it, you know, it, it, it can stick with you forever. And I promise you, if I would have started Diggs and Boone would have got there and Diggs didn't get there, I wouldn't remember it because I've had games like that before. But I would, I just, I, I beat myself up about that decision for still now because I played the wrong guy. So I think that was the biggest point, the biggest takeaway, the wrong guy in terms of the guy that I wouldn't have been comfortable losing with. So if you have a tiebreaker, play the guy that you can live with losing uh, if he's in your lineup.
3: That'll bring us to the end of another fun addition, at least for us. Hopefully it was fun for you. I oh, stealing bananas. As always, I'm Sean Siegel with me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at yards per and get a jump on the 2022 season by subscribing to the fantastic stealing signals. We've got our Christmas sale here at Rotoviz for another day or so ring in the new year with that. Grab that rookie guide that Ben was nice enough to mention. It's it's a lot of fun there. You'll enjoy that with us. I think that's on a little bit of a discount too uh, before we go into the time period a little closer to when it actually comes out. Uh, again, just have a, a great conclusion to 2021. We're excited for 2022. We'll go over some fantasy resolutions probably uh, sometime here in the near term, but enjoy your night. Everybody have a great time. We'll talk to you soon.